Nadine and I had a great time last week. We, um, was a, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary with a, uh, a little short four-day cruise up to St. John uh, in Canada. And um, I had a great time with my beautiful bride, and we ate some amazing food, and now it's time for me to go on a diet. <laughs> um, I had to leave early. I didn't get to see the rest of uh, uh, Susan Mendelson's presentation, but the feedback I got was that it was really good, that people really seemed to enjoy what she offered, and that it was um, and inspirational and as well as informational. So I mentioned uh, during worship that uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. And um, Pentecost literally means uh, the 50th day. In Hebrew custom, it's known as the Feast of Weeks. It marks the, 50 days, the 50th day after Passover. In Christian uh, history, uh, our custom is that it marks 50 days after Easter and com- commemorates the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read a couple of those verses to you. Stay, stay in Matthew 6, but Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Historically, Pentecost marked the beginning of the church. It was the birthday, so to say, of the church. I'm not preaching a Pentecost Sunday message today, but I wanted to make reference to it. And especially this part where it says that um, they began to speak in other tongues. Scripture talks about the gift of tongues. It, it says that if we don't praise him, the very rocks would cry out. God spoke through a donkey, right, when he needed to. He really is limitless. He can do whatever he wants. And it's, this has only happened to me a handful of times, but I've been in some church services where when the drummer is playing, I, I can sense the Spirit of God moving. And um, I can remember one church service we were in where the drums, it was as if the drums were prophesying. And I had the interpretation, like someone would interpret tongues. I, I had the interpretation of the drum. Well, tongues or drums, it's only sound waves, right? God can speak to whatever he wants to speak to. And I was kind of sensing the same, a similar thing this morning, a little bit different. But as Joe would play the drums, as he would do different riffs, and as he would hit different toms on it, I was seeing light shoot out, really from the drums, like little, I don't know how else to describe it, little bullets of light, little bolts of light, not lightning, but little balls of light were shooting out and touching people. And the different sounds he made let out different light. It was all white light, but it was different types of light. And I think it represented what you needed. And so the light would shoot out, and it would, it would go right through people. But it would, leave, um, it would leave a residue of what you needed. And I could see the light as it impacts your bodies. It would just spread through your body. And so um, a kind of different, <laughs> you know, a 2011 variation of the gift of tongues. You know, light goes out and, and feel, fills your being instead of sits on top of your head. I don't know. But that's what I saw. God shows me pictures. He speaks to me in pictures. Pictures worth a thousand words. So I want to read out of um, Matthew chapter 6, verse, I'm going to start at verse 25, read through through verse uh, 34. You can follow along if you like to. I'm using the NIV. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Then I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, I thank you for your word for the power and for the truth that's in your word. Lord, I ask that today you give me grace and anointing to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? So if you look at, I mean, many preachers, this text is, is famous text, right? All of you guys have probably heard this before. You've probably all heard sermons on it before, and most of them, you know, center around verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so all these things will be yours as well. Great, great text. Great verse. But if you look at this whole section as um, in, in a whole, if you had to look at the big picture, really what's Jesus trying to communicate to us? What's he trying to say? He's saying, what he's really saying is you can trust God. Whatever your circumstances might be, good times or bad, particularly in the bad, you could trust him that he's trustworthy, that your Father loves you, and that you can trust him. I guess that's what I want to communicate today. You know, Nadine and I have been here just over two years now. May 1st was two years. And it has been, <laughs> it's been an interesting time these last two years. There's been lots of change that's taken place. And that happens any time a new pastor comes in and steps in after a, a long uh, tenured pastor has been in place. So it's been lots of change. And, and boy, sometimes church is messy. You know, sometimes it's messy and change is difficult. I think, I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've seen lots of stuff. I think we've done pretty good for the most part. I really do. I've seen, I've seen a lot messier than this. I've seen a lot bloodier than, than this. You know, I think we've, we've managed okay. But it's, it's been, a, there have been challenges. Um, attendance has dropped off. I don't know if that's an that's a editorial critique on me or if it's just the nature of things, you know, just how, how it is when, when there's change. Sometimes when there's change in a church, it's an opportunity for the people who've been there a long time to say, you know what, this is, I have an exit ramp here. This is a good opportunity for me to go and maybe try and do new things. I think sometimes that's what happens. So attendance has, has dropped off. Maybe you've noticed too. I've noticed. Um, and yesterday we, we lost uh, 
two families that have been here for a long time. Um, and I wanted to let you know about it. Uh, about 9 o'clock yesterday morning, Maurice called me and um, asked to meet with me. So we met in the office, and he let me know that, uh, uh, that he was going to be leaving the church. He said that God had released him and, um, and that he really felt like he was supposed to spend some um, time focusing on his family. I think those are good things. Um, I offered to have him come and publicly thank him for his many years of faithful service and send him out with a blessing, but he, he declined that offer. It wasn't that he was upset or anything. I think just he wanted to do things low-key. He just didn't want to have some kind of big deal made out of it or a send-off. But he's been here for so long, and he was an elder at the church. I have to let you guys know that. Um, about 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from uh, John and Mary Beth. And um, they asked if they could come and see me. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, there's a trend going on here, you know? And, um, and they came to the office to let me know that they were, they were leaving the church as well. They said that they'd wrestled with this for months. I think, um, particularly for Mary Beth, change is really hard, and there's been lots of change. Um, and it was a very difficult decision for them, but they felt like it was time for them to go. That they, they liked Nadine and I very much, and we personally had lots of fun stuff together that we did. Um, and that only served to make their decision more difficult. I, again, I offered to publicly thank them and bless them and send them off for all their years of faithful service. John and Mary Beth have, have uh, managed the food pantry as long as I've been here and longer than that. And so, but um, I think they felt, I think especially Mary Beth felt it would just be emotionally too difficult for her. And she declined the offer as well. So I know many of you guys are friends with them. Fe please feel free to contact them. Tell them that you love them and that you'll miss them. And um, so I just, you know, I really want to let you know that. Um, and other people are missing too. Um, you can look around and maybe, uh, you know, recognize that as well. I When people don't show up at church, I... I want to give them grace and freedom. I try to contact them to let them know I care, but what I don't want to do is make it seem like the pastor's taking attendance and he wants to know why you weren't in church on Sunday, you know? That's not my heart. So I usually try to give people as much freedom as I can, you know? The philosophy I expressed when I first got here, I said to people, it's like, I don't own you or control you. I don't want to. I can barely control me. I certainly don't want to control anybody else. And my heart absolutely is, is I want people to go where the life is. And if there's life in another church, then go to that church. Go, go where God is. If he's showing up somewhere else, go there. And, so, and if there's not life here for you, well, that's okay too. Um, then I would really, really, really want you to go where the life is. And so I hope for Maurice and for John and Mary Beth and for any of the others who have decided that this isn't the place for them anymore, that, they, that God will absolutely lead them to a place where there's life. Um, I want people to feel free to come to the bridge, and I absolutely, and it's strange for a pastor to say, but I absolutely want people to feel free to leave. Years ago, God spoke to me. I know it was God, and he told me that the church was an airport. Now, many of you have probably heard the metaphor. I, I've shared this before, but I think this is a good time to repeat it. You've heard the metaphor where the church is, a, the church is an army, 
those spiritual warfare. The church is a family where we have you know, tight relationships. The church is a school where training takes place. The church is a hospital where you know, healing and restoration takes place. Those, are, those metaphors have been around for a long time. And I remember one Sunday morning, another church I was pastoring, I was praying before the service, and, and God just subtly spoke to my heart. He said, the church is an airport. The church is an airport. And I began to ponder that. If, if a, the operations manager, quote-unquote pastor, has a healthy ministry and the church is an airport, then he should be happy when the planes come in safely and on time and when they take off safely and on time, right? That's the nature of an airport. If my tarmac is littered with stranded airplanes and my terminals are filled with stranded people, then I'm going to get fired. I'm, I'm not doing my job. I, I shouldn't be happy only when planes come in and people come in. I should be happy when people move on, too, because that's what God's doing. And, uh, and I, re- I believe that then. I believe that now. And so I think there's... You know, anybody ever had a flight that took off late? Don't you hate that? Isn't it great when your flight takes off on time? I like when the flights take off on time. And I'm sad to see Maurice and John and Mary Beth go, but my sense is I think it was time for their flights to take off. I don't think that they were too late or or too early. I I don't know. I think it was God. And I I just wanted to, to let you know that. And I want God's very best for for them and for, for other people who have decided that this isn't their church. I understand that change is hard for some people. And I, and I do know that the way I do things, the way I lead, my philosophy toward ministry is different than the way things had been done in the past. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just acknowledging that there's differences. And I think that's okay. I can only be who I am. Well, an obvious ramification of Lower attendance is decreased giving. And so we've seen that happen, too, in the last few months. Um, giving is down accordingly. June's rent was late. It's paid, but it was late. My, my paycheck is late. I haven't received it yet, um, hopefully tomorrow. I'll just be honest with you guys, let you know where we're at. The lease on this building, we, we had uh, the, the latest leases with three-year three year leases up at the end of the month. And... I have to, you know, honestly, I'm just, with decreased attendance and decreased uh, giving, I'm really reluctant to put my name on a document that's going to make a commitment to, to a facility that I'm not sure we're going to be able to meet or that they're going to come knocking on my door for it if this, you know, if, if the money's not there. So um, I really think our days here are quickly, in this facility, I think our days here are quickly coming to an end. And... Um, and I want you to know that in those circumstances, we can trust him. We can absolutely trust him. We can trust him. God is good, and he loves us, and he has a plan and a purpose, and with that plan and purpose, a place for us, and we can trust him for that. Now, When a young pastor is in training, when he goes to seminary, he goes to Bible college, when he's being prepared for the ministry, there are courses after courses after courses on church growth. If you want to write a book and sell it and make lots of money in Christian market, 
write a book on church growth. Because <laughs> every pastor I know out there wants to grow his church, right? There's a sense of personal validation of, you know, success and, you know, influence that comes with doing that. And I don't think church growth is bad. I don't think it's a bad thing. But if you look at a biblical perspective, there's sometimes when, when, when God decreases, he takes things that are bigger and he makes them smaller, and it's really him. And so he's, been, he's taken us and he's made us a little bit smaller. I don't know that we were ever really big to begin with, but you know, we're probably about a third smaller than we were when I got here. Does that sound about accurate for some of you who have been here? I'm guessing. I haven't, I haven't counted the numbers. I haven't done a mathematical statistic, but I'm just figuring. But, but know this, that sometimes in Scripture, God takes things that are bigger and he makes them smaller, as well as sometimes taking small things and makes them big. I think it's a whole lot less significant to him than it is to us. But I wanted to give you some biblical perspective on decrease. You can look, you can look at these verses if you want to, or you can just listen to me. John 15, verses 1 to 4, classic verses. I'm sure you guys have read these before. Jesus, again speaking, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know what this means? It means you're going to get cut. <laughs> I don't care which side of this thing you're on. You're gonna get, one way or another, you're going to get cut, fruitful or unfruitful. You're going to get cut. Have you ever seen a professional prune a grapevine? Anybody ever seen that before? You have, right? We were back in Washington. I had a guy, a, friend, a close friend of mine who owned a vineyard. And he took me out into the field with him one day to prune some vines that um, he had just purchased this land and it hadn't been tended in a, about two years. And there was just incredible overgrowth of these vines and they really need to be, um, they needed to be trimmed. They needed to be pruned. And so he took me out there and he starts pruning these things. Man, he hacks this thing down to almost nothing. I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm assuming that this is just growth. This is good. You get lots of grapes off of this. And man, he trims that vine down to nothing. Because he wants good fruit. He doesn't want little fruit. He wants, you know, fruit that'll last. And that was a real lesson to me. Sometimes when God proves the vine, man, I think he's using a chainsaw to <laughs> hack away at the vine. But it's what he does. And in this text, Jesus says that the Father is the gardener. No one can prune as well as he can prune. Papa prunes perfectly. And you know what? We can trust him when he prunes. He's trustworthy. Other, other scripture texts that talk about God removing. If you read um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 9, the writer referring to old and new covenants he says, he takes away the first order to establish the second. He takes away the first covenant, which God ordained, which God set in place. He takes away that first covenant to establish the second covenant. God did that. 
He established the first covenant. He established the second covenant. But when he brought the second covenant into place, he removed the first covenant. He takes away to establish. Sometimes that's the way God does things. Sometimes God takes away. And it's God who does it. And when God takes away, you know what? We can trust him. We can trust his heart. He's good. I've preached for months on his extravagant love for us, didn't I? <laughs> we could trust him because he loves us extravagantly. And so if he takes away, even when he takes away people, we can trust him. The classic scripture on God taking away, on God taking something big and making it small, it's got to be Gideon's army, right? Anybody not read that text? It's in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Here's a couple of verses from chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's hiding from his enemies in a hole. This is what he's doing. God shows up in that place and calls him a mighty warrior. God's ways are not our ways. In verse 14, God says to Midian, uh, God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not setting you, sending you? Gideon's reply, pardon me, my Lord. I'm thinking they cleaned that text up a little bit. I think if it was me, I'd be saying, you're talking to me? <laughs> pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel out of my clan? Out of, how can I save let me say this again. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God answers Gideon's question with the following verse. I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God's ways are not our ways. His choices are not our choices. It reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his first epistle, chapter 1. He says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Gideon was the right guy for the job. He was the weakest and from the smallest and the lowliest. And God says, I can use you. The story goes on in chapter 7. Now you got this guy who's confessing that, look, I don't have what it takes to do this. And he musters an army of 32,000 men to go fight the Midianites. I think that's pretty miraculous all by itself. Isn't that awesome for the weakest guy to be able to do that? So what does God do with his 32,000 men? He prunes those 32,000 men down to 300. God works very well with small groupings of people. My friends, we can trust him. He's trustworthy. Even when he prunes us down from 32,000 to 300, we can trust him. Little is much in God's hands. Consider what Jesus did with a little boy's lunch. 
in Matthew 14. He took a few loaves and a few fish, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it away, and there was abundance left over. We may be little, but we can trust him. We may be little, but we're much in his hands. So let me just remind you of some stuff. Now, usually at the beginning of the year, I like to offer some, uh, I like to offer a message where God gives me insight for the year to come. I'll go and I'll seek God and I'll say, you know, okay, God, what's going to happen in this coming year? And he gives me various bits of revelation. One of the things God told me this year, and Ginny reminded me of this morning, was the, the verse from uh, Proverbs 25.2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's glory kings of such a matter out. I felt like that was a key verse for us this year. And that God would be revealing things to us like puzzle pieces. And not one of us would have all the pieces of the puzzle. I wouldn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. I felt like as we came together, you'd bring a piece of the puzzle. You'd bring a piece of the puzzle. You'd bring a piece of the puzzle. And when we put all the pieces together, now the picture makes sense. Anybody ever remember the old game show? I think it was, um, was it Concentration? You had to get, and it would reveal the, the little pieces of the puzzle, and then you had to figure out what, the, what, what, what it meant. I think that's what it's kind of like. Each of us will have a different, a different piece to the puzzle, and eventually it'll all make sense. In the meantime, meantime, we can trust him. But one of the other bits of revelation I had gotten in the beginning of the year was this. I told you God speaks to me in pictures, right? One of the pictures I had, uh, it was like the scene from an old western where the, where the cowboys are sitting in a saloon at a round table and they're playing, they're playing cards, they're playing poker. And the perspective I had in, in this image I saw was that I was looking over the shoulder of the dealer. And as happens in dreams or visions, sometimes there's just things that you know. You just, you just know from it. And in this vision, I knew that the dealer was God. And he had, ta- he had collected all the cards, and he had shuffled the deck thoroughly, and then he, he dealt out the cards. I knew in the vision, without it being explained to me, there was just a knowing that the cards represented people. And I told you this be- at the beginning of the year, that God himself was shuffling the deck. He was shuffling our deck. He was shuffling our people. And then he was dealing them out. And the other players at the table, they were in new places. And he was sending people to different places. So we're watching the process now. God's shuffling the deck. And he's sending people to new places. It's really him. It's him that's doing it. This is, a, this is not a bad thing. He has a plan. He has a purpose for everyone's lives. And sometimes it's a new deal. Anybody here use Twitter? I like Twitter. I like Twitter. I like Facebook. And um, one of the one of the feeds I, I, I follow on Twitter is called uh, OMG Facts. Oh, my God, Facts, right? <laughs> and they just put up a random fact every once in a while. And as I was, I was preparing yesterday's message, I had to prepare the message, I go to Facebook. I prepare the mes- message, I go to Twitter. There was, this, there was this little quote there from OMG Facts. And it says this, With a properly shuffled deck of cards, the order of the cards, has most likely never existed before ever in history. How interesting is that? 
read that again. I never knew that. So I guess there are so many possible combinations. It, the fact that they put up, I think it's true. It says, with a properly shuffled deck of cards, the order of the cards has most likely never existed before in history. So if God's shuffling the deck and there's a new deal, there could be a new order. There could be a new setup. There could be a new way of doing things that we've never seen before. And you know what? I'm okay with that. It will require trust. If we've never seen this before, if we've never seen this order before, if we've never been this way before, then trust is going to be required. Right? We can trust him. He's trustworthy. I thought it was interesting timing that as I was preparing this message and to remind you of what I'd seen early in the year, I'd see that little fact. Now, a vision I saw a couple of months ago during worship that I never shared with you, I'll share with you this morning. I, I was sitting up here at percussion like I sometimes do. I don't know, Vaughn, if I was playing with you, your team, or Chris, I was playing with your team. But I was sitting up there, and um, it was in some point in the midst of worship, and God speaks to me in pictures. I see like this hand come in front of my face. And did you see a little video clip this morning where Rapunzel blows on the dandelion? You see that little part in the beginning? And she first touches down on the grass. Well, that's what I'd seen. Not, that, not exactly that, but I saw a dandelion come in front of my face. Like a hand holding a dandelion. It was like this big right in front of me. It was really close. And then wind blew from behind me. And as it blew, the dandelion went out, and a whole swat of people from the church disappeared. I'm, thinking, I'm sitting there this morning thinking, I don't like this picture. <laughs> I'm not happy about this at all. But I knew that it was the hand of God that was holding that dandelion. And I knew it was his breath, it was his spirit that was blowing on it. And what he was doing, <laughs> the sower goes out and he scatters seed. Right? Isn't that what a dandelion is when you're blowing it? God is blowing on people, and he's taking seed and he's scattering it in new places. And he's allowed to do that. You know why? Because he's God. <laughs> And so when he blows on us and he takes some of the, the essence of who we are and blows it and scatters it into other places, we can trust him because he's really good and because he really loves us. A little bit more revelation. I want to give you some scripture. I want to give you some revelation. From Beginning on February 11th, the last four years, for 40 days, God gives me visions, and I record those visions. And sometimes I share them with you, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think they're just for me. And then sometimes later on, it's like, oh, I think I can share this one with people. And I think I've shared this privately with some people. I don't know that I've shared this one publicly. But in this one vision, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. And, and in this vision, he is taking the form of a lion. And I've walked with him before as the lion. But he's huge. He's in the form of a lion, but he's got to be the size of an elephant. He's enormous. And I'm walking with him, but I'm not walking beside him. It's like I'm standing right beneath his front legs, one leg on either side, and I could feel the hair from his mane touching just the, you know, almost like it was tickling the top of my head. It was an awesome place to be in. The power of his presence was amazing. It was electric. It was like being in the middle of an electric storm. It was incredible. And he's just walking, and I'm walking with him. I'm do, Galatians chapter 5 says, keep in step with the Spirit. I was just keeping in step with him. We were just syncopated in the rhythm of our walking. And I'm just walking with him, and I'm just thinking, this is awesome. I'm loving this. 
And so at some point, I look ahead of me, and I could see, um, it was kind of like a, a barren plain, but we came, there was a cliff. <laughs> and there, it was a, a, like a break in the land, and then the land continued on the other side, like a, like a deep channel. And going across the channel was a rope bridge. Bridge would get my attention, right? And as we're heading towards this rope bridge, Jesus says, the lion, he's not slowing down at all. He's on this pace and he's going. I'm looking at this rope bridge and I'm thinking, man, I don't know, you know, rope bridges, they sway, kind of shaky at best, even when they're in the best condition. And honestly, the bridge I'm looking at, it's not looking so good. The closer I get, I can see that the ropes are frayed and kind of old. The wood slats are dried out and look pretty brittle. I'm looking and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if that wood's going to hold me, let alone this you know, elephant-sized lion that I'm walking with. And, but he's not slowing down at all. He's heading right for that rope bridge. And I have a choice to make. This is the point of the dream is this. Would I trust him? Would I continue to walk with him, or would I, would I rely on my own strength, my own wisdom, my own logic, and choose to go a different way? I could step out from beneath, you know, beneath where his... You know, I was standing beneath his front legs. I could walk out from that place, but it was such an awesome place to be in. Or I could, or I could choose to walk with him. And so in the vision, I chose to continue to walk with him. But I have to be honest with you, I was afraid. I was scared. It wasn't like, I'm this great man of faith and power, and I'm just, bless God, I'm going to go for him thinking, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. And I can remember, and he's, he never slows down. He never changes the, his gait. And I, we, we get to the, to the edge of the cliff there, and I step out. I remember I stepped over the first slat of wood and stepped on the second one. I don't know if that's significant at all, but I remember it. And as soon as my leg touched it and put my weight on it, it broke, and I began to go through. And in that instant, Jesus reaches down with his, with his mouth as the lion, grabs me from the back of my shirt, and carries me, and in one step, we're on the other side. He never skipped a beat. I think my heart skipped a beat, too. <laughs> he never skipped a beat. Would I trust him? The point of the experience, and what he was telling me is, even when the bridge is shaky, even when it looks like it's in bad shape, even when it looks like it's about to break, will you trust me to continue to go forward and take you to the other side? My daily choice is I choose to trust him. That's the place where I'm in. It's what I encourage you to do. I think he gives me those experiences mostly for me, but sometimes I get to share them with other people, and I think they're valuable to others as well. I think the point is this. Don't trust the bridge. Trust him. You can rely on him. His ways are not our ways. He'll take you any place he wants to take you and he'll get you there one way or the other but you can trust him to follow him where he's leading you to go we can trust him to follow him to lead us where he would have us go so that's some of the revelation he'll take us to the other side remember remember me saying that at the beginning of the year before he's gonna take us to the other side he'll take us to the other side we're going to the other side like the sign says back there now Nadine and I have had other dreams and sense that, you know, so there is not only God at work, but there's warfare at work. It comes with the territory, doesn't it? 
that's part of it as well. Some of what happens with a group of people in a church, some of it's spiritual, some of it's just natural. It's kind of like dreams. You have a dream, and the, the source of the dream can be from, from the light of the dark. It can, it can come from God. The source of the dream can come from the enemy. Or sometimes it's just us. I think that's what happens in church life too. Things happen. And sometimes it's spiritual. It's God who's working and moving in people's lives. Sometimes things hap happen, and it's spiritual warfare. It's what the enemy's doing in people's lives. And you know what? Sometimes it's just people stuff. <laughs> it's just humans being human. And sometimes it's messy. So now what? We make choices. And what I am strongly advocating this morning is that we make a choice to trust God. That whatever the path forward for us is, that we choose to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Boy, that verse goes so well with that experience I had. He, the path was straight. Would I trust him? My own understanding was, don't go on that bridge. <laughs> My own understanding was, run. <laughs> you know, you're going to fall. Even to the point where I took that first step. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think we choose. We make repeated, daily, sometimes hourly choices. God, I, will ch I choose to trust in your nature. I choose to trust in your goodness and your extravagant love for me. I was reading Romans 15 this morning, and it speaks about trusting God as the, as the path, as the key to joy and peace and hope. Listen to this verse, verse 13. Um, St. Paul's writing, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace when, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. You need more joy? You need more peace? You need a booster shot of hope? If I'm understanding this text correctly, what St. Paul is saying is that the key to those things is to trust God. If you think about it, logically, how do we ever learn to trust God if we're not in circumstances that require trust? <laughs> right? we'll, we'll grow in our ability to trust him when we find ourselves in circumstances that require trust or that require faith. That makes sense? So sometimes, I think, God, back to that vision, God will lead us on a path that looks shaky at best. And in, to our own sense, it, to our own logic, it doesn't make sense. But the choice is, will I trust him? And if I choose to trust him, one way or another, he'll take me to the other side. Trusting him, well, <laughs> I can tell you what, when I got to the other side of that, of that channel, there was lots of joy. <laughs> so as a group, as we're in a, what's going to be a challenging circumstance, we, the church has been in this facility for a long time. I, I don't think we're going to be here much longer. As we move forward into what's ever next, and I'm not sure what that is yet, don't waste this opportunity to grow in trust. We have a great chance here to exercise trust in God, to trust in his goodness and in his love for us. Even if circumstances don't work out the way maybe we want them to. We can trust that he's good. We can trust that he loves us. So, so seize this moment. Don't lose this opportunity grow exponentially in your trust for God. What other choices can we make? We can choose not to fear. 
we can choose to love one another in the process. I've learned this, and I'm sure you have too, that when stress is on, love becomes a casualty. When the pressure's on, love becomes a casualty. Boy, I'd like to turn that around. I'd, like, I'd love to be a man who, when the pressure's on, or when stress is on, that love grows. You know, I, that, I would like to be that kind of guy. I'd like us to be that kind of group of people. And under pressure, love will grow. We can choose to love. We can choose not to fear. We can choose to trust. We can choose to move forward. And we can choose to follow God, you know, wherever he leads. So, before we pray, I just thought it would be um, fair to open up for questions. Does anybody have any questions about any of this, about our church or where we're going? Yes. this change yeah well um i i have gotten leads from lots of people in the church about uh, where else we could go and i've i've hunted down um, nearly all of them and have yet to find anything that's suitable for us for a variety of reasons often finances is one of them the building that we're in right now, we pay $4,000 a month for 7,000 square feet. And so when you look at the market that's out there, that's a pretty fair price. It's not like they're, it's not like they're ripping us off at all. It's just beyond our budget at this point. Um, Neil sent me an email the other day with the idea of, hey, what about, what about over at the Spoon? Would Joe be interested in leasing us the the space over there for Sunday mornings. They're not open on Sunday mornings. You know, maybe we could bless them and we could have a, a place to meet Sunday morning only. So I've contacted him about that, and he wants to talk more. He hasn't shot it down outright, but that might be a possibility. Um, yes? We have a lot of stuff. Wherever we go, right, right. What we'll have to do is... Um, Two steps have to happen. I need to, get, I need to have more conversation with our landlords. Before yesterday with Maurice and Mary Beth leaving, and honestly, they were generous givers. Without their giving, it significantly you know, cuts into our budget. Prior to that, I contacted the landlord via email on Friday asking, hey, could you send us a proposal for a new lease? And thinking, well, you know, if they cut the 4000 down to 2000 that, you know, maybe we'd buy us some time. Maybe we could get a one-year lease out of it and buy us some more time on what to do. Um, I'm not sure that we could even afford that at this point, just being frank. Um, so I was hoping that maybe we could still, you know, still stay here for a while. In light of yesterday's meetings, um, I think what we're going to have to do is give our landlord a 30-day notice. I think that's the requirements of, uh, on our lease. Give them a 30-day notice, and then, and then we vacate. So we'll have to do a few things. Um, we'll have to get another dumpster and just get rid of some stuff. There's some stuff that we have here. It's not worth the price of putting into storage. Some of the old couches, for example. Um, a yard sale. We could do that. We could give some stuff away. 
but we'd have to do a few things. We'd have to get a storage unit. To, just the chairs and some of the tables alone would take up a lot of space. We, we have a considerable amount of money in sound equipment. That stuff's going to have to be stored. If we go to a Sunday-only location, some of this stuff we may have to use wherever we go. I know we'll have to see it as we play it out. But we'll need to do a few things. We'll have to get rid of stuff. We'll have to pack this place up and put a bunch of stuff in storage. I can probably use the um, office in my house. to. We need an operational office because there's still business that has to take place. I could probably do that out of my home. And then, um, I don't know, get a P.O. box, and we'll, we would operate at it. In a, as a church, but meeting in a place Sunday only um, until we could find some other alternative. Um, if, not, if not the spoon, and I, I, I mention that only because it's one of the options that are out there. Joe may very well say no. He may not want a church meeting there on Sunday morning. That's, that's fine. We have a great relationship with him. I don't want to do anything that would, would damage that. Maybe there's another church that we, would let us use their space. Um, Right, I noticed that too. Yeah. And that, that might be a possibility that we could uh, meet um, in another church. Now that would probably mean other changes, right? Maybe we meet on Sunday afternoon. Or maybe we meet 5 o'clock on Saturday, right? Because if another church is using their facility, they're probably utilizing the, something around the 10 o'clock Sunday morning. So that's an option too, if we can, we can find a place um, that would allow that. Um, or if God miraculously at the last minute opens up some other type of facility that would allow us to be in there at, um, you know, at a price that we could afford. So, but that's what's going to have to happen um, you know, at this point. We'll have to pack all this stuff up. I think we'll get rid of some stuff. I think some stuff will go in storage. Some of the stuff we'll utilize. I think we'll get rid of, you know, the stuff that's, you know, ready to go see Jesus. <laughs> I, think, I think there'll be a little bit of the stuff that we'll utilize, and I think a majority of the stuff will have to go in storage. Yes? Well, I wanted to hear back from them first on their proposal for the lease. Um, honestly, there's more people here today than I thought there was going to be. So we'll see what, you know see how much money we took in today, and that'll give me some barometer on what we can do uh, going forward. Uh, but um, I'm thinking at this point, with sometime within the next two weeks, we have to give them a 30-day notice. So we'll probably, the way things look right now today, and things can change, but the way it looks right now today, my best guess is that the end of July would be our last day here, July 31st. And we would have the time between now and then to pack up to go. Unless there's an option out there I haven't considered. Boy, I'm way open to ideas and suggestions. Any other questions? Yes. Um, in all likelihood, the food pantry is probably going to disappear.
with the food pantry? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'd, I'd like to be able to have a final decision on um, our last day here and then coordinate, you know, what seems to be the most efficient way to do that with the food pantry. Um, we'll continue to run it um, uh, the next couple of weeks at the very least. And I'll, I'll be here to, uh, to help. And whatever food we have left over, there are other food pantries in town. And we'll, we can give that food away to them so none of that stuff will be wasted. You know, again, unless God provides, uh, you know, some unique space where we could operate out of that too, I'm thinking that's unlikely. Um, but His ways are not my ways. But yeah, the food pantry most likely is going to have to close, unfortunately. And that makes me sad because it's one of the things I, I love most that we do. More questions? Please ask questions. I, I want to be as open and and as um, forthcoming and transparent as possible. I'm not trying to hide anything. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> we're definitely going to need help. I mean, certainly when, when it comes to packing this place up and moving stuff around, we're going to need all hands on deck. It's probably going to be you know, a few Saturdays, and we may even take a few Sundays instead of doing what we normally do, you know, make it a work day. Church has been here. Remember the cleanup day that we had when we purged this place about a year ago or so? Man, that was a full day, and we got rid of a lot of stuff, and, you know, we barely put a dent into the massive volume of stuff that's in this place. You know? That's what happens when you've been in a place for a long time, right? It, so, yes, absolutely, we're gonna need, we'll need physical help, and... Um, you know, really, it was it was only yesterday, in having the meetings with Maurice and John and Mary Beth, where I realized, you know what, we're really going to have to leave this building. I don't know. I don't know that there's any way we can possibly stay. Up until that, I was thinking, well, maybe we could stay a little bit longer. You know, draw it out a few extra months until, or maybe even a year until we found we could find a location with an easier transition. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out that way. So when we get a final date, I will absolutely come out with a plan and, you know, a huge cry for help, you know, to get stuff packed up and, and move to wherever it's going to go. Donna? Um, yeah, when Jim Driscoll was here a little over a year ago, he had a, a vision where there was a waterfall right here. Remember Jim was saying that? And... Um, I remember going out. He says, yeah, I see a river coming down the center of the church. There's a waterfall right here. And this podium wasn't here at, the point at that time. Jim likes to use a whiteboard. So the whiteboard was here. And he was kind of off to the side. He kept pointing to the waterfall right here. And I'm thinking, man, that's right where I sit every Sunday. <laughs> and I asked him at lunchtime. I said, Jim, what's the waterfall? And he took a bite. Uh, in between bites of his sandwich, he said, oh, that's a cataclysmic event. He goes back to eating a sandwich. Like, Dude, give me a little more than that. What's a cataclysmic event? It's it's dramatic, radical change. Um, I think there's maybe been a few events that have happened in the last year or so that could qualify as uh, waterfall-type uh, events for us. But um, uh, I know in the history and the life of this church, leaving this facility uh, is maybe the second greatest change to Rick and Carrie leaving the church. So it's gonna it's a significant 
you know, but I know that. Yeah, that was a vision I had had some some months later, and and it was you you remembered it well, Don. You got some memory. Um, I had I had seen this vision where a ship, a sailing ship, large sails, white ship, some blue stripes on it, is going down this river very very fast. The sails are filled with wind, and I'm watching this, and I know that I'm the ship. And um and as I look ahead, I can see this waterfall. Boy, it sounds a little bit like the lion thing, right? With the with the, and I can see that there's a you know, there's a waterfall coming. And I watched this ship go, it almost clears the entire waterfall. And at the very end, the rudder catches on some rock or something under the water. And I watched the, the ship do this. It just kind of pivots and the hull smashes against the waterfall. And then it falls down, you know, head first and, and is destroyed in this, you know, beautiful grotto below. And Jesus is standing next to me. And I'm like, what happened? And um, he says that the, this is what he told me. He says, at the critical moment of transition, your need for control was your undoing. He said, now watch this. And it's like somebody rewound the tape. And it goes all the way back. And I watched the ship go down the same path again. But this time, as it came to the waterfall, the ship had no rudder. And it just sailed right, uh, completely right off the edge and then just gently floated down to the bottom. And so God was giving me personally a very specific warning that at a critical moment of transition, there's, there's going to be a huge temptation on my part to want to seize control of the situation. And honestly, as a leader, you would think that's appropriate. That's what the leader should do. And in these critical moments, she should stand up and take control of the situation. And God's telling me his ways are not my ways. Will I trust him? Will I choose not to do what seems right in my own sight well, I choose to trust him. And at the critical moment of transition, he'll do something that seems ridiculous, like take a ship and let it float gently down after it clears the edge of a waterfall. Will I trust him? Will I trust me? You know, all of my experience and leadership capabilities, all my people skills, will I trust me? Will I turn to my flesh and seize my need to have control? Or will I let the Spirit fill my sail with his wind, carry me on the current of his water, and take me where he wants me to go. I could tell you what my nature would prefer to do. <laughs> Jesus made the picture perfectly clear to me. He speaks to me in pictures. So yeah, I think you know we're in a waterfall moment, and I'm really trying to let this go as long as it can, trusting the leading of a spirit without trying to seize control and so if it seems like I don't have a hardcore plan, it's because I don't have a hardcore plan. <laughs> and I've been trying to follow him. It's hard for me, but I'm trying. So, other questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I think you're right that, you know, in this process, we're going to, you know, there is, um, um, I, I believe that humility is our friend. You know, whatever, however we move forward together, humility is our friend. And uh, I've, I've learned the hard way and the easy way both that um, humility will keep me out of trouble <laughs> and humility will get me out of trouble. So I think part of this process will be humbling. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. What will we be able to afford? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, if we if we could find a place to meet that was two thousand dollars a month or less, that that's probably closer to reality. Um, um, if we're going to meet a place Sunday only, boy, I hope it'd be a lot less expensive than that. Sunday only, that would be five hundred bucks for just you know, you know, three hours or so. I would I would hope it would be less, but just budget wise, I think for facility, we're probably probably somewhere in that neighborhood. Other questions? Yes. Yeah. We have 7,000 square feet here, and, um, you know, it's a pretty good layout. I think if we had a more uh, efficiently divided space, um, we could probably do okay with, I mean, if we had a place that we were going to meet all the time, you know, all week long, if we had you know, somewhere between four, somewhere around 4,000, 4,500 square feet. If we could break it up right, um, I think that would serve us very well. Yeah. If we had a room that was this size and we could break off a section in the back for a couple of classrooms and an office, I think we'd, you know, bathrooms, we'd probably be okay. Is there a question on this side? Yes. No, we've looked, I've, I've kind of done like a, a half, a 30-minute circle. You know, I think for most of our people, if we look north and and east, would would probably be better. There's a few people that come, you know, from the west, but um, I've looked in about a 30-minute circle. You know, I think the closer we are to where we are now, 
ensures the greatest likelihood that we'll, we would retain most of the people that we have. If we get too far away for some people, well, you know, I can understand it. It would become less convenient. Yes? The Spoon is a coffee house on, on Wellwood Avenue. It's, um, it, it probably has seating for, I don't know, 50 people or so, and um, and it's it's set up like a coffee house with little booths. It would be very different than what we do now, but they got a microphone, and we could probably do a couple of guitars, and I could certainly share a message. Um, kids would stay in with us you know, in that location. But it might might be a port in a storm, might be a temporary fix. I don't know. We might like it there. Other questions? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It'd be good for us not to worry. I think it'd be good for us to trust him. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about we pray? And if you have other questions, certainly I'll be here after the service. Come and talk to me. If you have ideas, I'm interested in them too. But let's pray. Father God, as a group, as the Bridge Long Island, as your people, we come before you today and we choose again in this moment to trust you. Lord, we agree, we acknowledge together that you're good. We know that you love us. I believe you have a plan. Lord, I choose as the pastor of this church to not seize control. I choose to trust you more than I trust me. Lord, I choose to walk with you that even if things break under my feet, I trust that you'll take me to the other side, that you'll take all of us to the other side. Lord, I ask that you would bless our church. I ask for your provision and for your favor. Lord, I ask that you would open doors for us, that you would put us in a place that is most perfect for us and most perfect for the work of your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, for our history and for all the good things that have happened in this place. Lord, I thank you for all of our friends who've added to the distinctive of who we are and you've moved them on to other places. Father, every man, woman, and child, I ask that you would bless them, that your presence would be with them, that your favor would rest on their lives, that you would lead them to where there's life, and Lord, that you would pour life into them. Father, I pray that we would love one another. It's going to probably be a stressful time ahead, but in it, I pray that love would grow. Our roots would go deeper. That affection for one another would multiply. That's what you do, Lord. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys dearly. I know it was long today. I'm sorry about that. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and if you